And uh, let me pray and we'll take a look at this passage together. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, that you have spoken clearly in the words of Scripture. And we pray now that you might uh, make our meditations upon your word to be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, Well, one of God's gracious gifts to us uh, as relatively wealthy Westerners uh, is the great options that are available to us. Uh, The the many options uh, of things that we can do. There are lots of things that we can do with our lives, aren't there? Uh, Places we can invest, things that we can spend our time on, things that we can give our energy to. Uh, And when we stand back from all these options, we can choose, can't we? Uh, Will I do this or will I do that? Will I go here? Will I go there? One of the things that the teacher of Ecclesiastes helpfully exposes for us is that so much of what we pursue in life, in the end, has an emptiness to them on their own. Life seen in the context of death has a great futility to it, an emptiness to it. Now, the teacher's not anti-pleasure, right? Pleasure is good. He says, enjoy life, right? That's a good thing to do. But he says, if you pursue pleasure in itself, if you pursue reputation in itself, if that's your overall focus of your life, well, that's futile, he says. Uh, In verse 11, this is his conclusion at the end of the day. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had laboured to achieve... I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. In the end, all those pursuits come and go with no net profit. So how do we spend our lives in a way that has clear value? This is really something I struggled with as a teenager. Um, Where is the value in life? There seems to be this emptiness to it. So where can we spend it in a way that has profit? In this parable that we're about to look at, Jesus helps us to make sense of our lives by narrowing in on what matters, of what will have obvious lasting value. Uh, And he gives us this one priority, and everything else that we pursue is a potential distraction from it. Uh, And put simply, uh, so one person has described it like this, and I thought it was really helpful, so I'm going to repeat it. Um, Put simply, the priority is to maximise your resources in service of the king. To maximise our resources in service of the king. And I hope we'll rediscover that as we look at the wisdom of Jesus in this passage. So So he tells this story of Uh, this nobleman who goes away to be crowned. Uh, And he asks the servants to do something while he's away. Verse 13, he called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 miners and told them, engage in business until I come back. And then later on in verse 15, the master returns, having been coronated as king and received his kingdom, he seeks to find out what the servants had done while he was away what they had achieved with his business. Now, it's important that we're clear here on what the 10 miners represent. Uh, What is this business that they've been entrusted with? What is it for which disciples of Jesus are to be faithful 
and from which the master expects a profit when he returns. Now, the parable doesn't explicitly tell us this. Uh, However, in the context of Luke's gospel, we can read between the lines. This whole section of Luke's gospel teaches us about the kingdom of God, uh, the coming rule and reign of God in which God confronts the kingdoms of the world. Uh, And the central section has all been about how to enter the kingdom of God and the message that enables someone to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, And that's why in verse 11 we read it's all about this delay, okay? There's there's this delay going on between when the master goes away and when he returns. Uh, Verse 11, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And everyone knows that Jerusalem is the place where God will appoint his king. And that's what they expect to happen. And so they expect the kingdom of God to arrive immediately. And so one of the things Jesus is saying with this parable is it's not going to happen immediately. There's a delay And because there's a delay, there's a responsibility of Jesus' disciples to do something with that delay until the master returns. So this this thing of great value, this precious gift uh, all the way through the previous chapter is salvation by the gospel. Um, So what is it then we've been entrusted with? Well, it's most likely that each miner then represents the opportunity to advance God's kingdom through the announcement of the gospel of salvation. Let me say that again. The miners represent the opportunity to advance God's kingdom through the announcement of the gospel of salvation. In this period of delay between Jesus' first and second coming, we've been entrusted with this wonderful message, this glorious message, Jesus saves He saves people from death. He saves people from sin. And so now Jesus says, as the nobleman represented in the story, let's put that message to work. And when he returns, he'll be wanting to know what we've done. So that means that there's an expectation on you and I as greatly enriched children of the kingdom of God we are called on to engage all our resources in the business of our King Jesus. We've been fabulously commissioned, right, with the honour and joy and opportunity of participating in this, this great thing, God's expanding kingdom. Jesus doesn't intend that to be a burden upon you, but a joy and an opportunity. Jesus' intention for his friends is not for them to worry about how they've stuffed up, but to take hold of the single opportunity that you've been given. Um, A minor in in this uh, era was equivalent to probably three or four months' wages, right? So it's a fair chunk. Let's say you're on 75K, are you? So what's that? It's about 25K, right, to each one. That's a significant chunk of money, isn't it? We have a significant share in the king's business, each one of us. Each servant is graciously entrusted with a share in the master's business. The master is off to be crowned as king 
and we get to use his resources to further his kingdom. So it's this sizable and generous share. Here you are. You're entrusted with this. Put it to work. As disciples, we're meant to see what what an honour that is to have this kind of role for the king, no less. Uh, Imagine for a second that you work for a very large company, right? And now imagine the CEO of that company gets you on the phone and he says, I've got a job for you. Could you come to my office, please? How quickly and eagerly do you think you would get up and make a beeline for the elevator to get to his office? Wow, right? A special job from the CEO. What a commission. Your CEO wants to pick you out of all the plebs to do a special job. Now imagine you're in the elevator and you get a call. It's the queen. She's at your house. Right? And she'd like to speak with you. Right? You cancel your appointment with the CEO, right? You're going home now. You'd take the urgency of that moment, wouldn't you? To run home. Friends, we have a commission from the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has all authority for all time over all people. This is an enormous privilege and a great honour. Imagine for a second you've dealt with the Queen and you get back to your CEO and he says, listen, I'm going away for a bit and I'm leaving you in charge. You reckon you'd take that charge seriously? Of course you would. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords says to us, I'm going to be crowned as king. I'm going away. You'll have some time. But while I'm gone, here's what you're to do. Engage in business until I return. Maximise these resources while I'm away. Friends, we're not here to punch our card and keep up the status quo. We're here on this planet, on the king's business. You're here in his majesty's service. Now, the great honour of that opportunity is reinforced when the faithful are then commended in verses 16 to 19. After the delay, when the master does return, let's have a look at those verses. Here we go. The first came forward and said, Master, your miner has earned ten more miners. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you've been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. Now, just kind of think about this for a moment. Three months' wages, right? Come back with, you know, ten times that. Ten towns are now yours. Uh, so it's 25K times 10, 250,000. That wouldn't even buy you a house block, would it? Right? You can have 10 towns. Um, what kind of return is that? I was thinking about this. 10 Melbournes, right, that's kind of all of Australia. Um, Melbourne is valued at a trillion dollars, I'm told. The internet tells me. That's $10 trillion. Three months' wages. That's a 4 billion percent increase on the initial amount you received. Right? That's pretty good returns, isn't it? 
Let's have a look at the second servant. The second came and said, Master, your miner has made five miners. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. Oh, so disappointing. It's only 20 billion percent increase, right? He must feel so ripped off, this guy. No, the, the point is that the, the king expects his servants to be faithful. Their faithfulness is commended, but there will be a reward. Not only that, though, but the reward is way out of proportion to the initial gift. So if Jesus rewards then, there won't be any disappointment when it comes to handing out rewards in the kingdom of God. When we finish this earthly race, there will be a reward for those who have served the Lord way out of proportion to the services rendered. Isn't that a great encouragement? So if you're hearing about rewards and you start getting worried that, well, maybe one of the worries might be that you think that this might be compromising salvation by grace alone. Don't be. At every point in Jesus' story, grace is being emphasised. Have a look. Verse 13. They are called by grace, verse 13. The The nobleman was under no obligation to call them. So these men have been brought into the king's service by grace. The miner was a gift, right? He gave them ten miners. They've been entrusted with the king's possessions by grace. Uh, And thirdly, these men have been rewarded beyond imagination by grace, have authority over ten towns. But the king is expecting faithful service when he's gone, and he does reward the faithful accordingly. Um, Now, if you're worried about Salvation by grace. Augustine has something really helpful to say on this. Um, I remember coming across this in Calvin's Institutes. Augustine says, When God crowns his merits, your merits, he is not crowning anything but his own gifts. Isn't that wonderful? I think that captures that sense of both God's grace and yet his rewards in the one sentence. You're called by grace, you're privileged by grace, and you're ultimately rewarded by grace too. So the servants being entrusted and the faithful being commended both underline for us this one key priority to maximise our resources in service of the king. Someone has called this part of God's judgment Christian family prize giving. Well, I think that's that's a great picture, right? Christian family, you know what you do? You play those stupid games as a family and then you know give each other awards. Uh, it's that kind of thing. It's celebrating each other. Well done, faithful servant, celebrating the grace that God has shown to each one of his children. So the point is not to beat ourselves up. Oh, I haven't really done much, right? I'm not going to get much. My reward will probably be Wardy's driveway, right? Or maybe Neil's compost heap, right? Here's a shovel. That's what you get. That's what I'll get. Now, it's worth recognising that for most of you, you've probably done far more than you realise. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. 50 billion years from now, we'll still be celebrating 
every single act of kindness you've shown to a disciple of Jesus. You've probably done far more than you realise. And the good thing here is Jesus won't forget one thing. Not one thing. Nothing is forgotten. Nothing is unnoticed. Every act of service in the king's business will be rewarded. And that means that every act of service is absolutely worth it. A prayer you prayed for a struggling brother or sister, noticed, rewarded. A friendly word of comfort you offered to a brother or sister so that they might stick with Jesus, noticed, rewarded. There's a fresh face at church, right? And you make a beeline for them to welcome them to church. Noticed. Rewarded. You prepare a Bible study, you labour painstakingly over the word of God so that God's word might grip the hearts of those in your group. As it turns out, an obnoxious personality dominates the conversation. You feel like the study's a failure. Noticed. Rewarded. You become aware that someone didn't make it to your group that week and you text them, right? It's just a text. You're going okay, right? You send a text. Noticed. Rewarded. You rock up to the cleaning bee so we can meet in a clean and, clean and tidy building, right? Noticed. Rewarded. Now, it might not be directly kingdom work, but you've indirectly served the kingdom of God by doing that, haven't you? I wonder what other things you could think of that we typically undermine. We don't think much of them, but they're noticed and they're awarded. Jesus sees everything. Now, this is so different from our earthly masters, isn't it? Right? Often in this world, I used the example with a, a, an assignment with my uni students earlier in the year. Right? So you get an assignment to do, uh, you agonize over it, you work hard at it, you do a super job, you've struggled to get it just right, you hand it in, the next day you get a response, B minus, no explanation, no feedback, no one notices. Right? Or, or your workplace, right? you're given a job to do, you work really hard, you make sure you dot all the I's and cross all the T's and you get it all exactly right. Your job says, well done, here's another one. Right? Your boss says, well done, here's another one. But with Jesus, it's nothing like that, right? Everything done to maximize the business of the king is seen. Nothing is forgotten. Everything is noticed. Everything is rewarded. Isn't that a great encouragement? And that means when it comes to investing in the kingdom of God, every act of service, the big things and the hard things and the small and the insignificant things, all alike, will be worth the effort in the end. And one of the reasons I wanted to speak on this passage today is because I think there's a tiredness amongst the people of God. I feel tired, right? Uh, and there's an exhaustion. And when that comes, we can often start to think, well, I'll leave those extra bits of service out, right? Those extra acts of kindness. Now, I do that myself, right? And we sacrifice them when they're the things that matter. They're the things that are worth it 
because they will be rewarded way out of proportion to the services rendered. But standing back on this passage a little, um, we also need to consider the faithless condemned. Actually, in the context of Luke's gospel, this parable functions as as a bit more of a warning um, than an encouragement. It's a warning to the people of Israel. Um, uh, And what what this warning entails, what it means is that the YOLO and the FOMO culture will backfire in the end. Uh, so YOLO, if you're not familiar, is you only live once, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Um, so if you live for yourself, you're always worried that you'll, you'll miss out, you're too busy to engage in the master's business, so you live for yourself, right? Um, that's going to backfire in the end when we consider where the universe is headed Um, Or if you're determined to live by YOLO and FOMO, it goes like this. You only live once, therefore maximize your resources in service of the king. Uh, Or you fear of missing out, well, fear of missing out on judgment day when Jesus hands out the rewards. That's how it works. Have a look what happens to people who invest in other things instead, who make other things the focus of their lives. Uh, I I don't think this last servant knows um, who Jesus is at all. He appears to have completely missed the point. Uh, I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Uh, he's probably popular. Uh, I'm sure he's had a lot of good things going on in his life. He's super friendly, servant, but he just hasn't invested in the kingdom. His priorities were elsewhere. Perhaps it was his sport. Perhaps it was his career. Perhaps it was his job. Perhaps it was his social life. Uh, Perhaps he was in the business of just making money for himself. He doesn't know the master's character. So let's have a look at what happens when he comes before the king, verse 20. uh, And another came and said, Master, here is your miner. I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Since you are a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. Have a look what the servant says about his master. Now, do you think that's an accurate description of what we've read about the master so far in the story? Do you think it's an accurate description of Jesus throughout the gospel? See, it doesn't really fit Jesus or the master in the story, does it? Throughout the gospel, Jesus has been characterized as the compassionate and merciful saviour at every point. He doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't snuff out a smouldering wick. He's gentle and lowly. He is no harsh man. And the master in this story that he tells shows no indication of being severe. He shows grace at every point. His servant fails to understand the master and he fails to understand the master's business. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow? The the difference between the miners and the city suggests that he's gracious beyond measure. This servant lives in a kind of fantasy land. Jesus' words show that this servant didn't just fail to understand Faced with the inevitability of his own now exposed folly, he has the audacity to pass the blame back on to the master. It's your fault I didn't invest because you are a harsh man. 
You collect what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. He blames the master. Do you see how wrong that is? Do you see how wildly wrong that is? And the master recognises this. He sees straight through it. He sees him as the wicked man that he is who never understood or knew the master's business in the first place. Verse 22, I will condemn you by what you have said. You evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't do, didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? When I returned, I would have collected it with interest. No, he exposes the fact that this servant is just making excuses, right, in order to cover up his own failure. If he really did believe the master was severe, he would have put it in the bank and earned 0.1%. That would have been something. Servant, he's not just confused though, he's a deliberate liar, isn't he? And he takes the grace of this opportunity the master has given him and he throws it back in the master's face. The master isn't fooled by the cover-up. He sees straight through him and the bottom line will be you can't fake it on judgment day. There'll be no faking it. Jesus will see straight through any facade, any lies, any attempted cover-up, any blame-shifting for having done nothing for the king's business. Jesus shows us that there will be people who now appear to be going about the king's business, his kingdom work, but in the end never really knew him, never really invested, and they are frauds, tragically. And they'll be tragically exposed as frauds on that last day. Well, what are the implications for us? Um, well, it's first, firstly, it's worth recognizing that we all have different opportunities, right? The point of this parable is not, I've been given particular gifts as, a, as an engineer or a musician or a nurse, so I've got to exploit those gifts as much as possible to maximize my potential. No, it's all about the king's business, isn't it? Sometimes the parable has been taken that way, as if you've got gifts, you've got to use those gifts. Well, no, that misunderstands it, right? It's about the king's business, isn't it? So we're to use what we have to serve the king's business. Our people who teach that that way um, have missed the context of this parable, but they've also robbed people of the opportunity to invest wisely in the kingdom of God. On the other hand, neither is the point here that every single one of us should enter into full-time paid Christian ministry. That's not the point either. Because every single one of us here has been made differently. We've been given different circumstances, different opportunities, different resources, different roles, different families, different responsibilities in different locations. We have a very specific life package, a very specific set of circumstances. There's no one-size-fits-all here. So when you start doing that comparing game, no, that, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not what Jesus is calling for. Don't compare yourself to the people next to you. You've got specific circumstances. The point is, rather, whatever we have, whatever you've been given, we are to use that to maximise our resources in service of the king, to go about the business of the master in seeing his saving gospel proclaimed by working towards seeing Jesus' word take hold of people in whatever situation he's put us. 
Now, whether that work bears obvious fruit or not is somewhat beside the point. Uh, But as we go about this work of maximizing our resources, Jesus reminds us that nothing will go unnoticed and there will be a glorious reward way out of proportion to what we ever think we might have achieved. Um, So you might put in a whole lot of effort encouraging a fellow believer who's struggling or perhaps reading the Bible with a younger Christian only to find that they walk away from the faith. Consider this, for example. You meet one of your neighbours, right, and you invest in them heavily, right? You share your faith with them, you share your life with them, you share your love and your energy, you're generous with your, your resources and your home, and then nothing, no signs of faith. Someone else from church comes along and says, hey, I shared with my faith with my neighbour once and they became a Christian and look, they're here, Right? Oh, it makes you go, oh, put in all that effort, oh. But here's the thing. Do you think Jesus might know how to appropriately reward each one of you? Of course he does because he sees everything. He knows everything. He knows the effort that you put in. Friends, friends this can we look around for a second. Look around, non-rhetorical, look around. This is your community, right, of faith. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have great opportunity here to maximise your resources in the service of the king, to capitalise on this context here, to grow Jesus' business, to invest in Jesus' expanding kingdom. Don't worry about what the world thinks or what your peers think. You're keeping your eyes focused on that coming day. Now, maybe for you there's illness. Maybe there's financial difficulties. Maybe there's conflict. Maybe there's mental illness. Maybe there's painful relationships that make investing in Jesus' business so slow, so difficult, because you've got so much else going on that's just crippling you. Don't worry about that. You you probably can't control a lot of that. You're to take what you have, not what you don't have, to maximise in the service of the king. Marshalling the time, the freedom, the energy, the resources that you have, not what you don't have, to make this saving gospel known. Friends, we live in an age, a period of time, where people can enter the kingdom of God before the king returns. We live between the commissioning of engaging business until I come back and the commending, well done, good servant. So the questions we want to be asking ourselves and each other are these. How will you this week, this year, maximise your resources in service of the king? How will you maximise your particular life package Jesus has given you for expanding his kingdom? And we need to answer that question remembering that the master sees all, That's a good thing. Nothing goes unnoticed. Nothing goes unrewarded. Whatever investment you make in Jesus' kingdom will be worth it. Every act of service is seen by the master. Every act of service is rewarded by the master. So every act of service will be worth the effort. Let me pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you that we have such a a gracious and compassionate Saviour, one who cares for us deeply. We thank you for his determination to bring justice and the kingdom of God, your rule, over this planet, over this world, over all people and all things everywhere. Uh, And we thank you for the gift of the resources that you have given to us, the life packages that you have given to us, the great blessings that you've afforded us. Uh, And we we pray that you would forgive us for the ways in which we've prioritised other things in our life, the pursuits that we've made our central focus that have distracted us from serving Jesus. Uh, And we thank you for the reminder tonight of where we're headed, of that day when every deed will be recalled, every act of service, every act of kindness, everything done in service of our master will be rewarded graciously, wonderfully, in a glorious celebration for all eternity. Amen.